what we're going to be looking at today, uh, you can see behind me, refined by fire, that speaks to trials because every marriage, whether you're willing to admit it or not, is, is going to encounter trial, difficulty. And so we want to just kind of lean into that today and talk about the not so glamorous aspect of what this life has for us. But there is some real beauty in it. So we're going to look at this. We're going to be reading from First Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, who's the author of that book, we're just going to give a little bit of context to this because the scripture will apply to you whether you're single or married, but we're going to lean into the, the implications for marriage. But in First in Peter, we've got Peter, who is the disciple who Jesus looked at and said, you're going to feed my sheep. This is also the same disciple who had one of the most massive and epic failures in all of scripture, which is he's denying Jesus to people when Jesus is going through his most tortured time, right? And then he's also the disciple who Jesus restores publicly and then says, I'm gonna build my church on you. And so this man is giving us the instruction today what a powerful message he will have for us. The implications for marriage are really, really profound. A little more context here. So he's speaking to the early church who, if you've done any study on the early church, extremely persecuted, lots and lots of trials. But here's just a little bit of it. As a Jew in this time, you're already a persecuted people. But if you then go and put your trust and your faith in this man who calls himself the Messiah... You're now ostracized from that community and then persecuted by them. So like double persecuted. As a Gentile, you would lose the ability to do business as usual in a pagan culture because often allegiance to pagan gods was a prerequisite for conducting commerce. So you would be, you would be not allowed to do your business or shunned and pushed out because you put your faith in Christ. And so this is good information to know as we look at this, this scripture here because the context is important. These new Christians were being taught that trials were coming. They were both being taught by the disciples and by their actual experience. Trials were coming. So when we think of this in the context of marriage, we are all going to face trial. We're all going to face difficulty. And there's no use in trying to prop your marriage up as this perfect, impenetrable force against trials. They're coming. And we shouldn't fake that. We should be open and vulnerable with each other about the fact that it's happening. Happening often, actually. So Peter's writing this letter to us as an encouragement. And so we're going to get right to it. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is, remember these three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter speaks about these trials that are coming and he starts with hope. He starts with infecting and injecting into this experience that there is real hope that cannot be tarnished. Because if we're all honest in here, we could all talk about 
what has perished in this life, what has been defiled, what has faded. When you think of things that have perished, it could be loved ones, actual people perishing before us, businesses, opportunities just taken from you, whether by your doing or not. Who hasn't experienced some perishing in this life? Who hasn't been affected by things that have been defiled, abuse, rape, relationships, your reputation. I don't think anybody is void of this experience. What's faded? What is faded in your life, in your marriage? Love, that's something that time can really take a toll on, is love, that burning love for your loved one. How about abilities as you age? As I ascend the stairs, my knees speak to me. Oh, I can't play softball for more than two games without going home and icing my knees and going, what has happened? Lord, give me my knees of when I was 20 years old, when I was 20, or 30 even. My goodness. How about hope for a particular situation in your life? You see what Peter's doing? He's reminding us of a living hope. Now, and also of an inheritance to come. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice the contrast between imperishable and brief trials. He's giving perspective. He's, he's not saying that these things aren't happening. He's acknowledging the trial, but he's giving perspective. Those trials and circumstances may be called brief when we consider what eternity is and what that holds for us. And I actually like uh, something that uh, another Christian thinker has said. Um, his name's Frank Turek, and he says, there's no actual death for the Christian. You just change locations. And it's a beautiful thing to know that this isn't the end of us. In fact, this is why I can look at my wife and not be a liar and say, baby, I will never die. Because I do say that in a joking way, but there's some truth to it. I'm changing locations. And for those of us that have experienced the loss of our loved ones, they've changed location. And so when we look at the trials we go through in the, with the lens of eternity in front of us, the trials seem brief, actually. We're called but a vapor, but a man is but a breath. We're here for a little while and then no more. So when you look at those trials, what Peter is saying to you and to me is it's going to be over <laughs> and what's coming will make it look like this never happened. It's imperishable, it can't be faded, it will not fade. What you love will never be ripped from your hands. It's there forever secured for you. Beautiful, beautiful encouragement. And it's not to deny the reality of the trial either because scripture gives great value to these trials. And I know this because the Bible says it and because I've lived it personally, that trials can produce beautiful, beautiful things. And this is what Peter goes on to say. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory 
and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith is more precious than even the most precious metals that this earth can bring forth. Here and in other places, scriptures, when we read them, they promise difficulty. They promise it's coming. We'll have trials in this life. So it's, it's important to acknowledge it. Like I said a little earlier, let's not try to be fake people to each other in this room. And when you go on the marriage encounter, come out with all your trash because you know what? Everybody's got it. Everybody's got their own brand of bad. So bring it out. Talk through it. Don't deny it. Don't look away from it. You know, there's, there's something. I, when I, I, I really like evangelism and apologetics and getting into that stuff and, and studying it. And there's something interesting about artwork from pagan religions versus Christianity. The pagan religions and like Buddhism and Hinduism and all this, their statues, if you ever notice, their eyes are closed because they're looking inward for meaning and peace. And they're, they're plump and fat like me. And they're, they're just happy. Because you know why? Because they're denying reality. Their eyes are closed to what's actually going on. Many of us can live that way and have our eyes closed to what's actually happening in our marriages and be closed off to it. You know what the Christian artwork looks like? Drawn out, sunken eyes in, eyes wide open, looking at reality. I'm not kidding. Go look at the artwork that the religions produce. Like when you actually look at your marriage, like this is hard. These trials are difficult. I'm not lying. But Peter says that our trials are the proof of our faith. Without difficulty, faith can't be tested. It's got to be tested. Anybody can say, I trust God, I believe in God. But if it's not been through the stress test, you don't know how strong it actually is. I want to know how strong that actually is in my life. There are a whole lot of things that can be a trial. And I'll just name some, but finances, relational tension, death, sickness, disabilities, children going through difficulty. As a parent watching that, what tugs on your heart more than watching your child struggle? My goodness, or be taken advantage of. And I can't give qualifiers for all of these things, but each one of your hearts knows its own sorrow. Each one does. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do, and I'm gonna telegraph the punch, is at the end when I'm done, and Aslan doesn't do her part, I'm gonna ask. I'm sorry, babe, I love you to death. I'll die first. But at the end, what I want you to do is I want you to right now acknowledge the struggles in your marriage. And if you're single, acknowledge the struggle you're going through right now. And then come up, because I'm going to have the band, not right now, Jared. But at the end, they're going to come up and we're going to have a time of worship. And I want you to bring, whether it's praise or sorrow, to the front and give this to our creator. So that's gonna, I'm going to invite you for that later. But let's at least acknowledge the trials so that God can deal with them. So you don't have to hide your sadness because there are people in this building that want to come alongside of you in your sadness and encourage you and pray and hope with you. Some things that you go through, you're like, I, would, I never wanted to have this come up and deal with it. Never thought I'd have to. 
but we live in reality, not like the Buddhist statue. We hold on to our hope of eternity while wrestling through difficulty. And so we go on. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. So Peter has comforted us. He's given us the assurance of inheritance. And then he brings in some wisdom for us. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, prepare your mind. He's... He loves on them, he, he, he pastors these people, says it's coming, trials are coming, but we have something imperishable. Now get your mind ready. Get your mind right. Get ready for what's coming because it is coming for us all. There will be trials. He says to be sober-minded. That's the second point. This is where Aslan should have come in and said, get ready, but here I am. I need to stop blaming my wife. You're seeing in real life, the manifestation of some, some deep things. <clears throat> so while comfort in making space for grief is very important, the second part is equally important, to have our minds be ready and sober for this. You may feel this is insensitive, especially when you're going through pain, for somebody to come along and do this. You know, give me my space for grief. Give me... I don't need any correction or, or wisdom right now, but Peter did it, so I'm gonna do it, right? If Peter is allowed to say it, then that means it's fair game for all of us, and we ought to be mature enough to be able to handle that when it comes. And if you're not there yet, let's aim for that and start moving in that direction. But it's wise advice from Peter. He's acknowledging the trial while giving hopeful perspective and wisdom. Whether it's grief, difficulty, challenges, oppression, we're still commanded to make a mental effort to keep our minds sober. It's not, it's not something we can wiggle out of. Here's a good example of this, and I promise you if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to not get offended or hurt alongside your spouse when they get offended, right? You're at home getting ready to watch the Super Bowl, which is about 60 men fighting over a ball so that they can then hold a trophy made of silver above their head, kind of like an idol to worship. That's what you're all in for today. Sorry to ruin it for you. But you're sitting there on the couch and you're enjoying yourself and your wife comes home because of an interaction that they've had with somebody in their life and she's upset about it and then you just go, who's this son of a motherless goat that said what to you? Don't act like you don't do that. Like you don't, it doesn't rise up in you to go, who's this... You know, and then you start name calling in your head. You're like, oh, this guy's mother was a goat and dad smelled of elderberries. Anybody? Right? Yes. Bart, you are a great man. I only need one applause, by the way. But you know what I'm saying? It is hard to not get offended alongside of your spouse. It's very hard. But you are not allowed to. You are to be the voice of reason, not that you, like, let's be like Peter and what he's saying to the church in our marriages. You get offended, don't allow yourself to then become an offended person too. Because you know what that's gonna do? It's gonna start building a wall between that couple and somebody else. And, and anybody else that they try to, in, in having offense, we're not allowed to hold them. So this is what we've done in my marriage, is when that does happen, I'll sit back, I'll listen, I'll go, man, that's tough, yes. Is there some truth to what they're saying? Maybe, maybe. 
I'm not, I'm not saying I lead with that. <laughs> I listen long enough to talk through it, but I don't allow myself to get offended with her. I speak the truth of the gospel to her. Maybe we should forgive. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is an angle of truth to what they're saying because you know what? We all deal with sin. And is it, is it really that crazy that somebody else could look in at us and go, I see something that might be wrong in you and it sounds offensive, but it actually isn't. It's perceived to be. We're to be a bulwark against offense in our own homes and in our marriages. We are to help. And it's, it's, I'm not saying nobody can ever get offended. It's not what I'm saying. But you as a husband or a wife, keep it from growing into a monster, right? Let's keep it from growing into a monster. You're to minister to your spouse and your children first. So I'm not saying that my wife and I have the corner market on, on grief or on trials by any means. But if you've been in this church for any amount of time, maybe, maybe for a few years, you've heard our, our struggles and our story and I'll just kind of, I'm not gonna go into gory details here, but my marriage has gone through some trial and some difficulty. Infertility for 16 years, failed adoption placements, one after another. I know the pain of growing up without a dad. We've lost family members to cancer, car accidents, medical mistakes. I'm in the construction business and in 2007, when the recession hit, my wife and I had to move out of our house, rent it out because I couldn't afford the mortgage anymore, had to move in with family into a bedroom just to make ends meet. Not fun. I didn't lose the house, but it was hard, and my pride took a lot of hits, right? We've lost many friends who've gone separate ways. We've adopted older children who have been through difficulties. I love them. It is a blessing to have them, but I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, it's easy, it's hard, it stresses us out sometimes. And last but not least, pastoring. <laughs> There's a reason not everybody does it. It's hard and it tests us. It tests our marriage. It's difficult. So, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not saying this for anybody in this room. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Oh, they go through a more difficult time. They've had harder struggles. Because, and this is what came to me as I was thinking about this point. Number one, we, we're, we shouldn't compare. We're, we're told not to. But I see it in my girls. Love them. Love my girls. Each with their own struggle. And they'll sometimes compare themselves to the other. And oh, they, she has it easier than me and this and that. But what my fatherly heart wants to tell them is, I'll deal with them. I wanna deal with your heart. Your heart is so important to me. And so for you, whether you're a married couple or single, don't compare your struggles or your trials or downplay them as if they're not trials. The father wants to deal with your heart regardless of the couple next to you or somebody else you know. Don't allow it to steal the opportunity for him to minister to your heart. So I'm gonna invite now the band to come up and they're gonna lead us in some worship. But I, I have one, one final thing to just kind of 
to stress the point, which is trials are not comfortable. We know this. But when you come out on the other side of it, when, when, you're, when you see the light at the end of it and, and you're actually experiencing the trial being done, you see your spouse in a different light. What kind of light you see them in is totally dependent on whether you're resting in God's presence during it and what he is forging in you because what's happening because of those trials is there are things that are being grown in you that otherwise would not have grown at all. They wouldn't be there. And you look at those things and you look at the joy, the peace, the patience, the, the being able. When I look at my wife, I know she can handle an absolute ton of difficulty now because it's been proven by God through her. And I love that. And when I, when I recall some of these trials that I even I went through here, some of them I can go there in my mind. And I remember, man, just we're holding each other and crying through it. The tears would come. And, and being on the other side of that moment of going, God, will you help me here, please? Will you, will you give this, this trial its time and let it be done? And we're holding each other and we're crying. I think back on those memories now. Like, I, if, if God could just wipe that pain away, I would ask him not to because he's proven himself to be so good in that time, so wonderfully merciful and gracious. And he has made things happen in my marriage now that would not have otherwise happened. And I say, leave it. If it was an option, leave the pain. Leave the trial there because he's good to meet us in it. He is good to meet us in it. If you'll stand... I'm gonna pray briefly, but I'm gonna ask you to come up here with your sorrow or your praise because the praise that we give him on the other side of that trial is so glorious. And we're gonna have the, the healing team off here to your left to pray if you need prayer for healing. You can come forward. Father, I ask that you would minister to the marriages in this room, to the single people in this room, because it is a universal truth that we are going to suffer in this life and that we need your Holy Spirit to minister to us and bring us into a place of healing. So we're gonna take the time now to worship you with everything that we have. Thank you for your son who makes it possible. In his name we say, amen.